passages like this and Christianity in general will be twisted and misunderstood until we realize it's 100% about Jesus and 0% about us. God has made us. Jesus has saved us. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live the Christian life. We contribute about as much to the story as the background characters in some of those old comic books. You ever read some of those? The people can't do anything in there. All they can do is call for Superman or put up the bat signal. And that's about all that they're good for. They are powerless against the asteroid coming to destroy the earth or whatever other threat that they are against. They can merely call to a higher power than themselves, seeking their help and their power for their time of need. And we need to realize we're just like them. We need to realize we also must call on our Savior, Jesus Christ, because he alone has the power to save us. We were not righteous enough to save ourselves. We needed his righteousness given to us through the cross to be saved. But it's not just salvation we trust God for. Because it's only through the power of his Holy Spirit that we have the power to live the Christian life. Or have any expectation for God to move in any type of powerful way in our lives. Yet, many people try to live the Christian life without this power that we're talking about. And that was the barren faith that we talked about last week. Religion that focuses on the outward rather than the inward. And that, my friends, has about as much power in it as a car without an engine. You could talk to me all day about your car. You could talk to me about its fine interior, the nice leather seats, and all the cool things you have on the dashboard. But I'll have a bicycle that has more power than your car if it doesn't have that engine inside it. So are those who try to live the Christian life, beautiful as some of its rituals are, without a living relationship with Jesus Christ from the heart. That's the essence of the withered tree that we began to speak about last week. And now that we have our bearings, we will now see how the disciples react to Jesus cursing that fig tree as we resume our narrative in verse 20, where when the, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? How did this happen? How did this tree just suddenly wither and die in such a short span of time? And the answer, the difference maker, is in the one who cursed it. What they and we need to realize is that the power is not in them. It's not in you. It's not in your words. It's in Jesus Christ who is standing with them. He's the one who has all power and glory. <laughs> The one whose very words not only cursed that tree, but formed all of creation. And it was Jesus Christ who said, uh, let there, oh, it was, it was God in the beginning who said, let there be light and there was light. And John chapter one does tell us Jesus was there in the beginning with the Father creating all things. That's the power Jesus has just in his word, with his very words able to create all that we see, hear, and feel. That's the power. And barren, dead, and ritualistic faith doesn't have that power. But authentic faith, 
we'll see impossible things happen like this. We'll begin to unpack what Jesus means by that and Jesus' answer in verse 21 that goes on to say, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you were to say to this mountain, be taken up and be thrown to the sea, it will happen. And it's important to know, this is almost verbatim what Jesus spoke back in Matthew 17, verse 20. So those of us who were there back then for that passage might start to be making some connections here. So what is Jesus teaching here? Is he literally teaching, hey, you Christians, you should be praying towards these mountains and asking God to move a literal mountain and go into a literal sea. I think we intuitively know that's not the case. Because if he did, it would be very hard to explain why in 2,000 years of Christian history that's never happened at least successfully. But rather than this being a literal command, as we pointed out in chapter 17, moving mountains, that was a Jewish metaphor, but frankly, as it still is today, moving mountains is a metaphor for doing the impossible, doing things that seem to be impossible. And this is a lesson that this is the kind of power that is available to you through faith in Jesus Christ. That if you abide in him, that if you stay with him, that if you truly believe in what he has did for you on the cross, and not just occasionally pay homage to a religion or an institution, these are the kinds of things you can expect to see happen in your life. The withering of a fig tree is just the beginning. Just the beginning. It, it, it should also remind us of our first reading from John 14 when Jesus said, we will also do the works that I do, Jesus does in that case, and greater works because I'm going to the Father. And that's not referring to because our works or our faith is so great, but because God is still moving. God is still doing great things in this world and does impossible things on behalf of those who have faith in him. And that's where faith comes in. It's not this great confidence you have in yourself or great confidence in your ability to pray or or anything like that it's it's confident it's the confidence we we have in the god we are praying to it's not my confidence in myself it's the confidence i have in the god i am praying to because jesus himself said all we needed in terms of our faith was the size of a mustard seed back in chapter 17. We just need to have the, the even just small faith in the right person, and we will see impossible things happen. Is that making sense? Because otherwise we have a contradiction here. Is Jesus saying, I need to have great faith and great confidence, or a little bit of faith just in the right person? That's how it all reconciles together. And, you know, looking around this room, you know, it's no surprise to, to most of you guys that i got a lot going on in my life right now. This is a very busy and crazy season. And the only reason, perhaps, you know, I'm not losing my mind and on all kinds of anti-anxiety medication or anything like that isn't because I have great faith or a great number of other things. I'm just simply trusting in a God who is big enough to sustain me big enough to handle my problems. 
And if I really know that, if I really believe that in my heart, well, then I know I don't have to be smart enough to solve all my problems. I don't have to be resourceful enough to fix all of my issues or bold enough. Whatever I'm lacking, I just need to know that God can provide it and live my life accordingly. You know, we need to learn to have the perspective of the prophet Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 6, he and his servant found themselves surrounded by an enemy army. And Elisha's servant is freaking out. What are we going to do? We're going to die. We're surrounded. But Elisha wasn't freaking out at all. He wasn't deterred in the slightest. He just simply prayed, God, would you open my servant's eyes? So that he could just get a glimpse of what Elisha could see. And you know what he saw? God gave him the ability to see something beyond what we could see right now. And he saw not just the surrounding army, but an army of angels surrounding that army. Chariots of fire and everything. That gave him some perspective. And what's even more amazing is if you read that passage in 2 Kings 6, you'll see God didn't even answer their plight through this army of angels and all their immense, incredible power. God provided through another means. I think that God did that for Elisha's servant just so he would know they were there. Just so they would know, this is the kind of power that's available to you. These are the means that I have to solve your problems. Even if I don't use them, just know that they're there. Because if you live like that, if you live knowing that's the kind of power that God has available to dispatch at a moment's notice to help, you're going to live differently. You're going to walk differently. You're going to talk differently. You're going to have a different confidence about you. And people are going to notice that. That's the reason why Daniel and his three friends are still remembered to this day from what happened to them in Daniel 3. They were so confident, they told the king, they told the king you know the story, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Hear that confidence. Hear that boldness that they have to say such a thing to someone who has the ability to put them to death right there and then. That's not self-confidence. That's God-confidence. That's what faith is. Faith is not self-confidence. It is God-confidence. And it's in response to this God-confidence that Jesus exhorts us to have, that Jesus then concludes this section in verse 22, saying, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. And that's a very important limiter to help us understand the text before us this morning. If you have faith. This is, again, faith not being our confidence. It's in it's where our confidence, or rather who our confidence, is placed in. That's what faith is. That this promise is not for those who have just a fruitless and barren, outwardly focused religion. They can't claim this promise. Those who are trusting Rather than in the person of Jesus Christ, they might be trusting in their traditions. Might be trusting in the church as an institution. Trusting in their various liturgies that they participate in. 
No, this is for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, those who are abiding in the vine this promise is for. For those who, those who only have that outward experience with God that we talked about really in depth last week will have no concept of this, pa- this emphasis of the power of answered prayer that Jesus is talking about. But those of you who know the Lord, those of you who've been walking with them, those who know whom you have believed, you can expect to see God doing powerful things in your life, especially when we pray in the right heart. You know, many years ago, I went on my first missions trip with Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew Ministries, which I only recently found out that that ministry was founded by a member of the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. That's very interesting for me to know. And also another interesting note, you know, even though I was away at college at the time, it was this church that supported me and helped me to go. Way back in like 2009, you guys were supporting me. And to this day, I deeply appreciate it, not just for the love and support, but for what God taught me through that trip. Because the day I woke up to leave on that trip... I woke up in the worst pain I've ever been in my life. I mean, you guys, many of you know, I, I've, all, I've had back problems going back many years, but that was my first day I woke up experiencing sciatica pain. That was intense. Just severe pain shooting down my leg, and every step was just uncomfortable. It was not a fun experience. And here I am about to go further away from home than I've ever been. But you know, I just prayed, and God just gave me an assurance. I just knew I had to go. It's one of those things that's hard to explain in words, but I just knew God was going to work it out somehow. So we prayed and we prayed. And I didn't tell my parents what I was going through. (laughs) They would have stopped me. But I just left. And the whole way down was a miserable experience. But I woke up that morning, not the night before. The night before, went to bed miserable. Woke up the morning of, completely healed. I felt better than I'd felt in months. When I woke up the morning, the morning when we were going to go into the city and go evangelizing. I can't explain that to you naturally. I can't explain that timing to you. God just miraculously did something amazing, moving impossible mountains. Simply because we asked. Simply because we trusted him. Simply because we desired to honor him. And that that's what this passage is talking about. And, and we know that... This must be what God is talking about here because of what all the other passages in Scripture teach us about how we're to approach God in prayer and the things we can expect. In fact, James 4 warns us often that when we pray to God, we ask amiss because we ask for things to spend on our passions rather than for God's glory. You know, tell evangelists and other word of faith and name it and claim it style preachers, they, they, they twist this verse to basically make it mean, ask for whatever you want and God must give it to you. If you have confidence in yourself and you're not doubting in yourself and your confidence in your prayer, if you doubt God, your faith or your ability, God might not answer you, so you better be praying right. You see how that's not what this means at all. But that's what people make it mean. And furthermore, you know, people in that camp frequently ask for things that appeal to the flesh rather than to the spirit. You know, they encourage you to claim in your prayers your nicer house, 
you're better job, you're um, your better uh, whatever, your newer car. Those are things that appeal to the flesh. But when, when, when I read the scriptures, you know, what, what prayers do I see God answering powerfully? The first one that I think of is Solomon's prayer when he first took over as king. What did he do? He said, God, who am I? I'm just this boy and you've given me charge of this great nation. Who am I to do this? God, give me wisdom so that I can take care of this wonderful people that you've given me. The prayer wasn't for him, it was for God. The prayer wasn't for his own wealth or his own goodness. He simply asked, God, help me to be a good steward of these things you've entrusted to me. God answered that prayer in a powerful and mighty way. That's the type of prayer God delights to answer. In fact, frankly, that, that, that's what Jesus meant in Matthew 6 when Jesus said that God knows that you need all of these other things. God knows you need food, clothing, shelter, provision, all of these good things. God knows you need those things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, you know, food, clothing, provision, jobs, provision, all these other things that we're worried about, our health, all those things will be added unto you. God will take care of those things. We have to put him first. We have to trust him first in faith. And then we can expect to see amazing things happen. That Because that's just what God does. God takes care of the, 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 the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. That passage goes on to say, how much more so you? God knows you. He knows how to provide. Do you think the God of the universe who knows how to provide for all of nature doesn't know how to provide for you? He knows. We just have to do it in the right order, seeking first the kingdom of God. God will take care of the rest. And you know, there's, that's another reason I'm not worried about all the other stuff that's going on right now. If you put God first, he's going to take care of the rest. There might be costs involved. There are no promises that living, living the Christian life is going to be easy. A lot of people had hard times in this book. It's like every other page. You can find that, no problem. But he takes care of them. God promises he's going to be good. We can trust that God is going to take care of these things, not because my faith is so great, but because his promises are so great. Right, church? One more scripture before I begin to wrap things up. But John 14, 14, from our first reading, Jesus says, if you ask me anything in my name... I will do it. What does that mean? Is that because that kind of sounds like our passage this morning? If you ask anything in my name, it'll do. I will do it. And perhaps intuitively, we know that 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 probably doesn't mean to use in Jesus' name as a tagline at the end of our prayers, as if just by simply saying those words at the end of our prayers, we can God is automatically going to answer it now. Oh, I prayed in Jesus' name; He's going to do it now. I did the magic formula. God doesn't work in magic formulas. But what does it mean? I once heard one pastor change one word of it, and it completely changed my prayer life. And I don't usually like changing words in the Bible, but I think this gets to the point. So hear me, church. Don't pray in Jesus' name. 
pray for Jesus' name. You see that subtle difference? But it makes all the difference. It means the same thing, but it brings to focus the right things for us English speakers, <laughs> us Americans. Praying for Jesus' name. And you know, we can make sense out of that because we understand that that puts the purpose where it belongs. Let me give an example. Like, look, I could buy a case of Bibles or a case of hymnals for here at the church, and I can go and talk to our treasurer, and she'll reimburse us for it because, well, that's we have funds for that kind of stuff. That's for the church's use. But I can't just go out and buy a car. Because that's not going to be for the church's use. <laughs> that's different. That and the board will never allow that. <laughs> but it's but that but these are purchases that are done either in the name of the church or for the purpose of the church or not. And it's the same thing when we come to God in prayer is, look, am I asking for my own luxuries? Am I asking for my own passions? Or God, am I asking for your glory? Am I asking for you to be glorified in this situation? God, am I asking out of selfishness? Or do I want to see you show up in a powerful way and everyone be awestruck by how awesome our God is when this prayer gets answered? That's the difference here. And you see, true mountain-moving faith is absolute confidence in who God is and what he is able to do. True faith isn't naming and claiming. True faith, mountain-moving faith, is standing on the promises of God. That's mountain-moving faith. Reading in the scriptures where it says to cast your cares upon him and he will sustain you. And then believing I cast my cares upon you. I believe that God is going to sustain me for this season, whatever it is that I'm praying for. Reading where it says to seek first the kingdom of God and finding every excuse not to, but still doing it. When, when we say, God, I don't have the time to put you first. I don't have the energy. I don't have this. I don't have that. But you do it anyway. And you'd be amazed at how God just so happens to take care of the rest. Sometimes through unthinkable means. That's faith. <laughs> now, I once heard an old adage that said, the Bible says it, I believe it, so that settles it. And I think that's, that's mountain-moving faith right there. That's it. Simply, hey, I have that much confidence in a God who can keep his word, a God who can keep his promises. And if I'm praying to that God, I'm going to approach him differently. And I can expect my life to look differently as well. So if you want to see this kind of power moving in your life, we got to forsake this dead, barren, and outwardly focused religion that has so thoroughly permeated our culture, just as it thoroughly permeated Israel's culture 2,000 years ago. This is nothing new. And have a living faith. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ, abiding with him, abiding in his word, and trusting and believing his promises, and praying to a God with a confidence that he is enough, whatever enough looks like to you. That God is big enough to answer our prayers. And again, praying for with the right motives, praying for Jesus' name, not just for my luxury. Even when we pray for good things, 
It's that God would be glorified in them. And when we do pray that way, don't be surprised if you see impossible things happen. Don't be surprised if you see strongholds of sin in your own life slowly loosen their grip. I've heard countless testimonies of people who once they put God first, you know, things that they thought they would never be free from, they found freedom. Don't be surprised if you see spiritual growth in your own life. When you think, oh, you know, I'm so far away from God. Oh, that this relationship's too far gone. No, it's not. You'll see amazing things happen. And other seemingly impossible things happen in your own life. Simply because our God is that big and our God is that good. And if we ever doubt that, well, we can look beyond the manger that we are looking towards this season and look to the cross where we see how much Jesus has proven his love for you and his power as well to deal with our sins. Again, our God is that big and our God is that good. Thanks be to God. Amen.